Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello and welcome, listener. You're joining us for episode 20 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast, your monthly dose of digital transformation news, views and debate. Joining me inside the pod, we have the man who offers that comforting sense of familiarity to regular listeners, just like that favourite pair of slippers. It's Digital Bulletin CEO, Romney Broad. Hi, I got some new slippers recently, actually. Do you want to know about them? Oh, later, definitely. Oh, okay. And flying in from the outside as a disruptor for just his second podcast appearance, it's content director, Daniel Brigham. Hi, Ben. And I'll definitely talk to you later about slippers, Rob, because I need a new pair. Okay, well, I have some I can recommend to you. Absolutely. <laughs> I look this forward is, to that. This is the intense debate that you're in for, uh, listener, upcoming <laughs> in today's podcast. Um, how are we, chaps? I know you were both out in the real world yesterday on Tech for Good, Good Business. Rom, tell us what you're up to without telling us what you're up to. It's like a meme. Oh, that's uh, that's tricky. Yeah, we were out doing a shoot. We do a lot of video production, obviously. Um, uh, you can go and see a lot of that video content on our website, in fact. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was in there. How do I tell? It was in a major organization in the healthcare sector in the UK um, talking about their digital transformation that they've done a lot of. It's going to be quite interesting, actually. You'll be able to see that um, next month, I believe. Lovely stuff. Dan, you're invited back on the pod. You can't have done too badly last time. Thank you. Yes. I've, uh, I mean, it, I, I skipped one, didn't I? So obviously just a seven or eight out of 10 performance rather than a nine or 10 out of uh, 10 performance. Uh, can I just say before Ron has given the impression that he uh, was probably uh, integral to yesterday's shoot. But, uh, <laughs> there, were, there were four interviews, all of which were done by me um, and, and uh, one of our videographers as well. I was obviously working quite hard and Romilly, our CEO, was essentially a doorman to stop people coming I, um... in the shoot. I was. We um, one of the so there's a coronavirus reality to everything, right? So if you're doing work in the healthcare sector, it's sensible to do that in a location that isn't in that building because you know it's sensitive to things like that. So we we hired essentially the most most part of a hotel, and um, we had to stop people walking in and out, didn't we? So that was my job. It was very important. I'll have you know. You're like a runner. Every shoot needs a needs a runner, right? I also paid for lunch, so you know that's uh, that's the other thing. And it uh, was very nice, wasn't and, it? And to be fair, Ron did stop people walking in and out, but he didn't stop himself walking in and out <laughs> while we were filming. Well, I, I couldn't. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll do better next time, Dan. I'm sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Upcoming on today's episode, listener, we are going to talk about Facebook nudging itself into the market for workplace collaboration tools. We will revisit our case study on Alcatel Lucent Enterprise. Plus, we have an interview with Amplitude's Daniel Bailey to chat data and digital optimization. But first, here's your news roundup. Things have been happening this month. One of them is the news that the US Department of Defense is considering pulling the plug on its $10 billion Project Jedi cloud contract with Microsoft. This deal has been dragged through the courts by AWS and it looks like the Pentagon might just want a clean slate. Now, the chip industry has been in the spotlight a lot this year, but IBM says it has developed the world's first two nanometer chip technology, which promises to offer 45% higher performance and better efficiency over standard chips. This is seen as a pretty significant breakthrough in that space. 
in the crazy world of Bitcoin, Elon Musk performed an almighty U-turn when he said Tesla now wouldn't be accepting payments in the cryptocurrency. A matter of weeks after the company bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, surprise, surprise, it caused a bit of a crypto crash. Elsewhere this month, Dell agreed to sell its cloud platform Boomi for $4 billion. Indonesia's two biggest startups, Gojek and Tokopedia, merged and Google won the lucrative contract to deliver cloud services to SpaceX. Now, as you know by now, listener, you can discover the very best reporting on those stories and many, many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But now we're going to move on to talk about Facebook and more specifically, Facebook Workplace. And you might be forgiven for not knowing exactly what Facebook Workplace is, but the tool is the social media giant's work collaboration software designed to take on Microsoft Teams, Slack and the like. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg announced that there are now 7 million paid subscribers on Workplace, a 40% rise from last year. And it counts Spotify, Starbucks and the World Health Organization among its customers. Now, we're going to broaden the topic and discuss the, the role of work collaboration tools. Now offices are starting to fill up again and what the future of tech-driven collaboration looks like. But Rom, I'm going to come to you. We're used to Facebook leading the world, of course, in, in many things. But do, do you have any idea what Facebook Workplace is or Workplace from Facebook? I think it's called technically. Uh, yeah, to a degree. I mean, and that's from a personal perspective. So, you know, we we face challenges. How do we keep working? How do we make sure that our, our, our people are kind of linked in and able to not linked in as in LinkedIn, but you know, linked in with each other. Um, how do we continue to be productive and, and uh, useful colleagues to each other? And uh, during lockdown, our people tended to spread around the world as well, didn't they? So we would, we would um, trying to find those tools. I did look at workplace personally. Um, we what does it offer up... then that, uh, that other competitors and other far more it's, widely used competitors offer well that's where things start to get a little bit woolly i think it's because actually what it offers is um obviously a very familiar interface most people will know how to use uh, facebook things if you like it's it's there's a, a lower barrier to entry in that sense for people to jump on um it uh is primarily i think a communications tool so you can talk to each other um effectively you can create groups and things like that um that are have various levels of access depending on what they're for might be for um you know private conversations uh, or it could be project-based groups or, or whatever so it's primarily around the communications i think more recently they've added um uh, a greater suite of integrations so you can hook it up to your um you know your cloud storage whether that's google or, or whatever um you can integrate it with other things like uh, crm systems and things like that uh, i believe in we we didn't go with it though because actually none of that um is particularly unique there are other things that do it obviously teams and slack are uh, well facebook's workplaces growth has been impressive over the last year um it joins many software as a service uh platforms in this arena that arena that have grown substantially over the last year for the same reasons um I, you know, I'm talking very personally here. It's, it might be different for other people, but for me, it didn't offer anything particularly over and above what we were already using. And for us, actually, it just makes things more complicated because it's adding another tool into the system um, that, you know, just to, to make things uh, difficult. And I think actually the, these workplace collaboration tools, whether it's Facebook Workplace or anything else, um, that's probably the, the the biggest challenge that people have got now, which is, hang on, how do you, this, is, this has become kind of a, 
a crazy ecosystem of stuff. We've got our people using all sorts of different things now. How do we consolidate all this to make it make sense? So it'd be interesting what you guys think about that, actually. Yeah, you almost need a, a tool to merge all of the tools together, right? Right. Um, but, Rom, do you think this is a serious play from Facebook, or do you believe this is just something that has kind of been, they've been operating on the side, and it's obviously at the, come at the right time um, during the yeah. pandemic. There's been, they've made a lot of noise about it recently. I'm, I'm just wondering if strategically they're putting a lot of effort into actually trying to compete with Slack. Because I think Slack has doubled the users Facebook's got. Microsoft Teams is you know probably double, triple, quadruple that number. There's mm. they're still quite a long way behind those guys. Like, do you, do you think this is a kind of serious strategic play from them? Uh, I, I do. I think if you've got 7 million paying subscribers, then you have to take it seriously. Obviously, in, in Facebook's world, that's relatively trivial as a number. But for anyone else, that's quite a large number. Um, and those are paying subscribers with contracts with Facebook work workplace who, do, who demand a level of satisfaction about what it you know can do. I, I, the fact that they're making noises about it means that they are serious about it. Um, it's, there's certainly obviously a, a market because one thing, you know, hopefully the world eases out of this pandemic um, at some point. But what the way we work will have probably changed forever certainly in a lot of um you know sectors say like ours where we can do a lot of our work uh, digitally uh, purely digitally um so yeah they're taking it really seriously i i don't know how they imagine it um fitting into their overall mix going forward i think one of the things that makes people slightly uneasy perhaps is you know how how close is this to social networking more generally and the trust issues and various problems that um, are yet to be confronted really around all of that sort of stuff how safe do people feel using uh facebook workplace how secure is it really what happens with the data i think these, these are all questions that facebook probably uniquely has to overcome before it can properly get in there it's interesting for me though that facebook really is spinning a very similar story to slack though in terms of its origins Facebook says, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, the workplace was really a tool that Facebook developed for its own purposes, leveraging its own, um, you know, its, its own technologies to to build collaborative tools for its own people internally, and decided that it was amazing. So they were going to give it to everyone else, which is basically the same story as, as Slack, I believe. Um, so, you know, is it better or worse? Uh, is it competitively, you know, interesting versus Slack? I, I, I'm not sure. That's, well, that's that's the problem is we need these things to kind of um, delineate themselves more for people certainly like us to pay more attention to them if you see what I mean because there's a there's a certainly a cost in moving to workplace from things we're already using absolutely um, yeah so it's about you know what, what these tools offer Dan I'm going to come to you now we're all now experienced remote workers having used these tools um to make to make things happen over the last year during lockdown what do you personally kind of look for from one of these tools well collaboration uh, which is you know it's a workplace collaboration tool and the word collaboration is doing quite a lot of heavy lifting uh, currently at the moment those we've made our sort of tentative steps back into a, a new office um in the last couple of weeks and when i was in there last week um i sit in front or just next to a designer who was working on uh, some new designs about something that uh for me and she put them up on a screen said to me uh, are these okay i looked at them and said yes they're really good uh, that took about 10 seconds whereas 
uh, when I'm working from home, that would involve chatting, putting a little message in the group. Do you want to get jump on a call or do you want to just send it as a PDF to have a look at? I'd have to have a look at, give feedback over either a call or uh, or over a, a chat. And that would take, you know, take up five to 10 minutes of your day. So um, I'm not sure what the solution is, but um, it needs to be a little bit more intuitive. It needs a little bit, bit speedier. It needs the, the chatting and sharing process, uh, whether it's on Slack or on Teams uh, or on Facebook, it needs to be um, uh, quicker, I think. Otherwise, you, you do end up spending too much time trying to um, do something that that should be uh, that should take very little time as, as a collaboration. Um, and, and aside from that, I guess it just needs to be a little bit more mobile friendly as well. Everything's done on desktop still. Very few of this is very little of this is done on mobile, I find maybe, I mean, I've used Slack a few times and that's obviously more mobile friendly, but if you're working on Teams or you're working on uh, Google Meet uh, or, or the Google Functions, then most of it is uh, is easier on desktop still. But I suppose it's fair to say we're still very much at the typewriter phase of these tools. Uh, we're nowhere near moving into a massive Amstrad's yet. Absolutely. And the example you've shared there kind of hits on the debate that I wanted to talk about, which is as, as people return to the office and you, you shared an example where the benefits of being in an office, are obvious, you know, that, that process that you went through with the designer, um, was something which is just so much better in, in person. But as, as we move to kind of a hybrid model where people are in the office someday, some people are in the office, other people are at home, there's, where do these tools fit in? Because when everybody's at home, there's a, it's a lot more obvious how you use them, isn't it? But as we move, as people go back to offices now, now lockdowns are being lifted steadily around the world. What, what do we think about that? Dan, I'll come to you again. Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a new challenge, isn't it? And I think there is, I think the culture will have shifted. Um, and there's an acceptance now that there is a lot of benefit to working from home. Um, there's also a, lot, a big benefit to working in the office as well. And we're, a lot of us are now at our place are essentially working on on that hybrid model and once again um it feels like the first of these workplace tools that really nail that and really nail the strategy behind that will will go ahead so at the moment slack and teams may be uh, and this is where something face somewhere facebook could probably make their move actually is to ensure that people who are in the office can communicate effectively with people who are remote because uh, it's it's easy enough as the three of us right now are speaking all remotely at the moment. But if two of you are in the office and one of us uh, was working remotely on the, on this podcast, and that that makes things a lot tougher. Do you get around a board boardroom meeting like we've tried? Do you go? Uh, do you you, know, you find yourself muting each other uh, yourselves each time when you're trying to communicate? So I'm not sure what the solution is. But if one of these companies can find that solution, then you'll probably find they'll start moving ahead of the others. Have you got anything to add on, on that particular point, Ron? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you when you pair it right down, so I think we're probably fairly typical. We are, you know, a kind of middle-sized organization. We use a bunch of different tools to organize ourselves, whether that's, um, you know, our HR and our people type stuff, whether it's how we store our files and data, uh, particularly because we do a lot of video production. Obviously, storage is a big deal for us. Um, the, the, that data and how we access it as a group of people is kind of primary. So whatever we use has to integrate with those 
with that information. Now, once we've got that information and that store of stuff, we can meet around it in person if we want, or we can meet around it virtually as long as everyone's got a common experience of our basic assets. Now, what the bun fight at the moment seems to be over who can build the best tool to integrate all of those things and provide a communications layer over the top that is reliable and and you know that we can track and uh, trace eat the conversations, not lose stuff. You know, how do we? What tool can be better than email, for example, or just text conversations in something like WhatsApp to 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 use those things? Um, Facebook's got its own version of that, saying, "Look, let's just use Facebook, um, you know, communications." Um, functionality to bring those things together they it does seem that they're you know that the, the workplace strategy is to really go all in on those integrations there's a lot of different integrations and you can do custom integrations too with you know whatever your stuff is um slack does the same thing and there are other tools that we've looked at uh scoro for example is quite compelling it's quite heavily fully featured that's something we've looked at quite deeply um there's a number of these things and in the end what we don't want to do is end up paying for more than one of them and it feels like that's kind of <laughs> it, the temptation almost right now is to go and do that so you know we're using uh, certain uh tools to to manage our tasks and things like that at the minute we can go and integrate that with workplace I'd kind of like to just do that on workplace if that's what we're going to go and pay for. Do we end up paying for both of them? And then, you know, in other words, that's where the complexity comes in. If someone could come in and say, actually, um, we can do all of these things really well, credibly in one place, meaning that there's a simplicity of access for your organization, then we would probably look at that very closely. Right now, it's it, it's kind of, it, it's almost like the, the main job is just to uh, limit the amount of these things that we're adding into our kind of landscape, if you see what I mean, because it just gets more and more uh, complicated. Surely that's going to happen though, isn't it? Like there, there is going to be one, it's probably going to be Microsoft, let's be honest, who, who manages to combine video meetings with a CRM system with various data points on different parts of an organization and brings it all into one functionality. That That is going to happen, right? I think... Teams is is excellent. It, most we we don't actually use Teams, right? And we'll just be honest about that. We we use it to have calls all the time, obviously, because lots of organisations that we deal with use Teams, but it's not something we have. Um, but it's it's you, you talk to anyone that is using it, particularly actually in the public sector and in uh, in healthcare that we've we spend a lot of time in. Um, that that that's a a part of the of the world that has really embraced teams especially partly because of some very judicious work uh, on microsoft's part to um, provide interesting discounts at the beginning of the whole lockdown thing last year um and uh you can see how that's very easy for an organization to then become essentially tied to because they were already tied to a whole load of microsoft things office suite products etc um it's more difficult if you're an organization that's actually kind of um, uh, stuck on other things, um, having you know made different decisions. You can't really go and use Teams and get full benefit out of it unless you're also subscribing to the you know the, the full package, um, which for, certainly for us would be a bit much bigger step. And I suspect a lot of other organizations would would say the same thing. So if you're not using Teams and you're not subscribed to that whole package of um, you know, office productivity suites, etc. What do you do? Um, 
you, you end up with a sort of smorgasbord, a, a deli delight, um, a, a meat feast of various different <laughs> tools and things that you try and rationalize and make sense of. Um, so, you know, there's consolidation that needs to happen in the marketplace until this all kind of hangs together. And, and you're right, though. I think Microsoft is very well positioned, not least because what it what it's offering to everybody is really good. So, you know, that's a good reason to use it, isn't it, in the end? Uh, somewhat naively, in the same way that if your uh, network provider is O2, you can call someone on EE. And if you have got a Hotmail, you can email someone on Gmail. There's no real, re well, there is a reason, but it would be really great if we could do this. I could be on Gmeet, Ben could be on uh, Teams, and Rom could be on Zoom right now. And there's probably really no reason why that can't happen, but it would make life an awful lot easier if it could happen. <laughs> yeah, dream on. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah, you're right. The, the fundamental underlying technology of, of squirting video from one it's thing to another is, is fairly common, right? But um, It goes far beyond yeah. that, though, doesn't it, than video? And, and I'm not convinced. Certainly none of the tools that I've used have deliver true collaboration and it's it's not about just doing meetings like this it's about working on projects and being able to exchange information and thoughts and have creative processes on with, with that technology at, at its core so there is definitely i think we've established there is definitely a huge opportunity there for somebody brackets microsoft right thanks for your thoughts there chaps it's time for us to move on i actually interviewed facebook's vp for workplace earlier this year you're right roman the, the software was born um, or its first design purely for facebook's internal teams and then it was so popular that they rolled it out and that topic is discussed a lot more in the article as well as the role of automation and building automation into these tools because i think that is the critical thing to a, a piece of software being able to do everything that we as consumers need it to do is to automate as much of it as possible. Now you can read that feature on digitalbulletin.com. In the meantime, we'll be back after this. Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and at digi underscore bulletin on Twitter. For this month's case study review, we're gonna look at our feature on Alcatel Lucent Enterprise a company which has transformed itself to help transform its customers. ALE is a leading provider of solutions to the telecommunications industry, helping to connect to more than 800,000 businesses around the world. Now, before we get stuck into the story, here is Sebastian Juras, ALE's Director of Digital Studio, telling us how his company's path to change began with failure. This is my favorite story, because as all good stories, this began with failure. We think about uh, digital transformation for a very long time, very uh, in advance uh, compared to when digital transformation was uh, a buzzword. We identify the tools, the architecture, the framework that we want to, to put in place in order to support this digital transformation. Unfortunately, we fail. Nobody understands what we want to do. So our first lesson, the digital transformation must not be imposed. The digital transformation comes from the a change of the culture of the company. We must uh, transform by the example. So Dan, Sebastian, they're very candid about the failure of ALE's first attempt at transforming itself. Now the story goes into the successful transformation that ALE um, has undertaken. Tell us more about that and the approach that kind of led to that success. Sure. 
Yeah, <laughs> just one of my favourite quotes I've ever I've ever heard from uh, while working here. I think is the most French quote of starting with failure. It sort of sounded like one a, a cinematic production that does all French films start with failure. Um, but their failure essentially came from, as he said, Sebastian trying to impose it across a company that's uh, global, got offices in eighty countries. Uh, it's over a hundred years old. It's gone through several transformations and takeovers in its time. Um, and what they tried to do is start their digital transformation over 10 years ago, um, but across the entire company. So they tried to force it on uh, on Alcatel-Lucent. Um, and that, as he says, as he's very candid, as you say, he, he, it, was, it was a failure. And what they learned from that is rather than trying to do it across all departments, they use one department as a guinea pig. So whatever, whatever their end goal is in their transformation, they target one department, they get the business leaders and the commercial leaders from that department to form a working group with the IT team and work through exactly how to get to that end goal. And they encourage failure. Um, and if it fails, they pivot. And if it succeeds, they carry on until they reach that end goal. And once they've reached that end goal and they're happy with it and, and it's been a success, that's when they can use it as a case study to roll out across to all the other business leaders in all the other departments as well. Um, and that may sound like a longer process, but in actual fact, once you've got that case study, it's then very easy to roll out across the other departments rather than uh, trying to impose it on every department, working out it doesn't work, and then going right back to the, uh, scratch again. And that's how they've worked, and that, that's what they take to their clients now as well. They don't suggest imposing it across uh, your entire workforce. They do it department by department. Uh, which seems like a really, uh, really interesting way of working, and a really kind of, and it's been a, it's been a major success now for them for the last sort of five years. Yeah, and they've, they've formalised that process with the creation of what they call the digital studio and the digital factory. Sebastian heads up those two elements of it. Maybe describe kind of exactly what the digital studio and digital factory are, and the kind of function they have. So essentially, the uh, they work as a collaboration. The studio and the factory. It starts off at the studio, which is the innovation, and ends up. Uh, a factory to make sure everything is reliable and can go out at scale. So the studio is, as I just mentioned, actually, is the collaboration between the IT department and the business leaders from each department. They work in short cycles uh, so they can pivot easily or, or they can carry on if something's a success. They use really, uh, it's, it's led by data insight. Everything is very data heavy to ensure they're reaching their end goal. When it, And when they're happy with it, that's when it goes to the factory. And it's the same people in the studio that then move on to the sort of factory setting. And that's really all about customer optimization insight with really high volume transactions. That's why it's called a factory because it's essentially on the shop floor now. Um, and that's where it starts to scale. When, it, when it's been a success, they can scale it out across their uh, all their departments and across if they're working with clients across their departments as well. So yeah, it, it's essentially marrying innovation with reliability is how they work um, and it's not something really i've come across before in any of these other uh, pieces we've put together but it's a success for them uh, and it's a success for their clients and that's it it's it's really interesting that it's been so successful that they're taking that and 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 using it with directly with their clients rom dan's piece also talks about the the ongoing nature of transformation at ale basically 
the, the digital transformation in quotes never stops. Is that a kind of common theme that we hear from companies, especially of that size now? I mean, some transformations have a very definitive beginning, middle and end, don't they? But this seems to be, well, the approach ALE seems to be taking is, is one of, you know, let's just keep doing this yeah. forever. It, absolutely. And yeah, it is. It comes across all of the time. And often, um, uh, I think, you know, maybe, maybe not so much these days, but certainly when, when people took on large initiatives that they then, you know, put a headline on called transformation, those initiatives would actually be uh, something with defined start and end times, uh, goals, um, certain budgets assigned to them and so on. And they, you know, get uh, grind their way through to the end of that process and then assess how it's done and, and inevitably ended up, you know, chalking it off as a failure or a, a partial victory or whatever. And that's because they were viewing transformation in kind of like, you know, the, the wrong way, really, which is that um, the way I tend to think about it and the way a lot of, uh, you know, uh, technology leaders that we talk to think about it as well as, um, you know, think of yourself as a person, you know, you're, you're transforming continually. Um, it's not that, you know, on each birthday you go, right, well, I'm one year older now, let's stop. Um, and just carry on like this instead it's not possible we change we learn we grow new things happen the environment changes the context that we're in changes it's much the same thing with with digital and so ALE have built a system that's capable of being agile in that sense of saying actually let's um let's do things on a piecemeal basis we know what our end goal is we know the how to that we want to measure this on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of the effect that it's having um, but it's not a process that changes because actually the context changes again next year so we need to transform again um, and it's much easier to bake that in as part of your just your operational methodology or this is you know this is just part of our infrastructure transforming is part of just how we exist um, than trying to um, delineate it in you know uh, in in carefully kind of closed ways um and they've they fully embraced that clearly and they've developed their own ways of doing it in the way that dan describes and it works yeah now now part of the story also highlights ale's partnership with tata consultancy services the indian it company supports ale with tech expertise and business intelligence a fairly significant and long-standing partnership ale's jean-pierre rouland director of information technology system talks very well on that collaboration and ALE's longer term goal to move as many applications to the cloud as possible. Here he is with more on that need to keep adapting. Nobody right now has the luxury uh, to stay put and wait to adapt or change. This is true for big, medium and small player. And uh, there I'm talking not only about the uh, agile methodology, which is important, but also the mindset and the willingness to change the questioning and challenging on what you do. And by not using agile method or mindset, uh, you will at some point, uh, I think, be out of the game because uh, things are going too fast uh, and you can't stay still and wait for them to, uh, to go through. Jean-Pierre saying there that companies cannot afford to stay still. That seems to be the running theme for this, this project, Dan. What were your main takeaways from working closely with the guys at ALE and at Tata, a huge company that you know, supports them in, in many different ways. What were your kind of main conclusions from this case study? Yeah, that the willing to willingness to change is integral to their story because that's that's what they were what they didn't have ALE to start with. That's what they admitted. They they they've stayed the same for too long. They realized that um the world was changing, but they weren't doing anything about it. And then when they did do something about it, it failed. 
And I think the main takeaway from that is you have to embrace failure. They did embrace failure and they learned quickly from that failure. And from that failure, they came up with their sort of mantra, which is fix, improve, repeat, which is, you know, just a very simple way of, of way of saying your digital transformation there. But it is, you know, you're always looking to fix things. You're always looking once you've fixed this and that's been a success, how can you then improve it? And once that's been a success, just repeat that process again. Um, and I think from both sides, from ALE and from uh, TCS, what they were big on is marrying people or groups, departments that wouldn't normally get married, um, people who might fall out, you wouldn't, uh, not necessarily compatible, and put them together. So whether that's the IT team with um, with the marketing team or an IT team with the with the executive team, it's important that right from the start of the process. Um, you allow those disagreements, the natural disagreements between departments to happen so you can work out best how to get to that end goal rather than getting to that end goal forced by, say, the IT department and then realising that the uh, actually the executive team didn't want that whatsoever. So it's just about putting people that wouldn't naturally fit together in order to make sure that fix, improve, repeat um, is streamlined rather than becoming a sort of a big, messy, muddy puddle at the end of the uh, of the working process and you have to start all over again. Yeah. Now I know one of the big technical milestones for ALE was being able to offer its solutions in, you know, private cloud environments, public cloud environments and hybrid environments. They, they kind of passed that milestone fairly recently and it's kind of really changed the game and what it can offer its clients. <clears throat> Rom, on a final point, we, the telecoms industry is just a fascinating industry to cover, isn't it right now? Obviously there's the headline stuff around 5G and the rollout, but in terms of the cloud and cloud native telecommunications and bringing in those kind of technologies and the solutions that ALE provides, it's a fascinating space. And what do you think the future is for companies like ALE and some of the other companies we've maybe featured on in Digital Bulletin? That, that's a, I mean, that's a really big question. I, I don't know is the answer to that question. <laughs> but um, what I think the uh, telecoms is just a really interesting thing to look at for a few reasons. One is, um, they kind of um, they are very technology driven. They uh, they have to be very agile, and certainly um, uh, there have been phases. You just look at, as many years as you go back, you'll see these phases as as technologies or underlying technologies have changed. Um, but in almost all cases, we've we've worked with a number. You know, I remember talking to not just ALE now in in that space, but we did uh, we've, done, we've spent a lot of time with the with the likes of Deutsche Telekom, BT. Telefonica, um, one, all of these companies are very large and very old, and yet also are required to be to to behave very young, very dynamic. They need to be uh, adaptable, um, not just respond to change, but often be responsible for driving the change in the first place, um, because they are responsible equally for the actual underlying technologies that are empowering everything else from a connectivity point of view. And so, how do you how do you take a, a companies large companies like that and, and get them to think in the right way and i think one of the things that is it's maybe worth pointing out is that one of the keys to to that seems to be taking failure and then learning from it and turning it to something better is um evolving a culture of uh, uh of agility not just agility agile methodologies but and that in, in ultimately means the people at the very top have got to be fully on board 
with a slightly adjusted attitude to risk who are understanding they don't necessarily need to understand the technology but they've got to understand the process by which the uh, there's cultural change as well as technological change that can happen at a certain pace within those organizations and where that is absent we see failure and where it isn't is when we see success um that's I, I, a lot of what AL is saying now, um, you can go and read our Deutsche Telekom case study, for example, from last year, and you'll hear a lot of the same noises. We um, we learned about how uh, technology and transformational um, agendas have been inserted at board level on at Deutsche Telekom. And Deutsche Telekom obviously is enormous. It's one of the world's biggest telcos. Um, fundamental to the their ability to to adapt and grow and change uh quickly has been that kind of uh seriously high level executive sponsorship and i think that's um that's true for ale it's true for all of these all of these folks but it's a cultural thing more than it is a technological thing that's even true of the folks we were with yesterday who we can't talk about um <laughs> we were talking to them about failure yesterday um you know what have they tried to do because the the this is genuinely uh, mission critical stuff for organizations in the healthcare sector when they get it wrong you know people people might die like this is this is serious stuff so they don't want to fail that causes problems it, it causes a certain inertia it means that they're, they're worried about changing things but they have to make change otherwise they're not going to save more lives down the line so how do they do that well they need that top level executive kind of sponsorship that can often be even harder to find in the public sector kind of context so um uh yeah and i think you know ala ala kind of uh, embody that in a sense they fully recognize that it's the, the the people element that has caused uh that's critical that's caused failure in the past but now um is actually a, a route to success yeah i cannot get my head around how companies like ALE and deutsche telecom companies of that size are able to just completely flip the way they do things and the cultures they have. It just, I because it must start with just people in a meeting like this, right? Talking right. About it. It's, an, yeah. it's an incredible thing. Um, and yeah, and and, you, and the thing about it is they're doing that while on, you know, actually, while actually doing their proper job, which is delivering services to their clients. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But um, okay, great stuff, guys. You can read Dan's piece on ALE watch the videos and listen to the podcast over on digitalbulletin.com. Next, we are going to learn about all things digital optimization. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. This month's interview is with Daniel Bailey, Amplitude's Vice President for EMEA. Amplitude has built what it calls a digital optimization system to help businesses drive value from their digital products. In the interview, Daniel talks about filling what Amplitude calls the digital black hole between product development and business impact. And he shares some insights from exactly how Amplitude collaborates with its customers. But first, I ask a simple question. What does digital optimization mean in practice? Yeah, so great question. Uh, digital optimization system, it's a unified suite of applications and technology uh, that includes the data analytics and personalization that essentially brings together a depth of understanding around uh, user customer behavior through the lens of digital product, which essentially enables our customers to turn insight into speed of action, 
to transform experiences. So that was a bit of a mouthful. Let me kind of paraphrase. The other way of looking at it is the ability to be able to, to see what's happening. Um, so what behaviors are, exist in your customer base through their digital interaction. Predict what's going to happen. So you know, what, what's happening within that customer base, what actions are leading to what outcomes. And then adapt the ability to adapt those uh, th those experiences to lead to more of the preferable outcomes. Okay, now it feels like you guys are really hitting upon a, a quite a big issue, I imagine, in the industry because obviously we, we hear a lot loads about technology. There's so much noise right. about technology development, um, but like linking that to business impact is really the critical thing, isn't it? How big is the gap between product development and, and business impact? Do you think uh, generally at the moment? Well, it's, it's such a great question. And I think and certainly the last year has been very insightful to see the transformation and the acceleration of that that many businesses have had to go on. If you kind of look globally, there's been, I think, $7 trillion or close to spent on digital transformation. Um, between now and 2023, another 500 million digital products will land in the worldwide market. But the fundamental and consistent challenge they're all faced with is lin linking um, product development, uh, product enhancement to business outcomes. And we call that the digital black hole. And every business is struggling with that to a greater or lesser extent. Why? Uh, because fundamentally, most of those businesses do not have the user behavior and insights that a solution like Amplitude can provide. Invariably, a lot of those businesses are quite siloed, both in their access to data, but equally in the way that they work as a organization end-to-end. -end. So everyone is struggling to some extent with linking product development, digital product de development to business outcomes. And maybe Daniel, you can tell us about some of the methods and, and technologies that Amplitude uses to, to help close this gap. It, sound, it sounds like it, it is, a, is a big issue. I'm interested in the ways that you guys can kind of fill that gap. Yeah, so it all starts with our behavioral graph which I would describe as our really intelligent brain that kind of sits behind everything that we do. So really understanding uh, uh, user behavior, con uh, customer behavior at tremendous scale. So over the eight plus years that we have been supporting our thousand plus customers, we've built an understanding spanning trillions of interactions. And behind that then the ability to learn from those interactions and constantly improve through machine learning. So that behavioral graph is really that big brain that helps you connect actions to outcomes and is constantly evolving and improving over time. Uh, and then in front of that sort of uh, that brain, that behavioral graph is then the ability to go and take, turn those insights into action. So we just launched Recommend, which is a self-service personalization capability that really enables all brands globally to achieve what you know, some of those big organizations that the likes of a Netflix provide on a day-to-day -day basis, that one-to-one -one personalization, acknowledging who you are, what you like, what content you like, at which points, and really recommend enables our customers to do that, leveraging behavior and turning that behavior into outcomes and recommendations on a one-to-one -one basis. Okay, yeah, personalization, I'm sure, is a massive trend in, in the areas that you're working in. What, um, what are some of the most impressive kind of results from the work that you do, Daniel? I mean, you, you don't have to necessarily mention specific clients or anything or case studies, but what, what are the kind of main outcomes that you've managed to achieve with your clients? 
Yeah, well, I'm happy to, to reference a, yeah. a number of the customers we're privileged to work with. I mean, we're, we're working with, yeah, uh, digital first businesses, if I can put it that way. So businesses that have uh, built, you know, their organization ground up uh, experiences like Peloton or PayPal or Twitter and helping them gain user behavior and build better product experiences. Um, so an example of one of those companies would be a business called Calm, who provide a meditation and, and sleep application. Um, and we've essentially helped them understand their customers' behavior to the extent they have increased their retention of customers threefold. So yeah, they've essentially delivered better experiences to their customers that have wanted them to stay and retain the application and service that can provide. And we do that through things like insight on testing of new features and functions, what gives or delivers a better experience to their customers, how can Calm continue to evolve that experience in line with their changing customer needs. But we also help uh, traditional businesses transform to digital businesses. So companies like Burger King, companies uh, like Ford Motor Company, which is a really fascinating example for me. So we've essentially helped Ford connect all of their cars to the internet. And essentially, they are a digital first business now in that sense. And through doing that, we've provided them with insight into how their customers interact and use the Ford Pass, which is this very clever capability to start your car remotely and various other things. And through that insight, we're enable, we were able to help them understand that their new customers uh, weren't really using a lot of those features. So how could they tailor the experience to those new customers to get them engaged and get, a, get them fully leveraging uh, all the value that that full pass application could deliver? So variety of customers across all segments, all geographies, from digital disruptors building digital product to those looking to transform their business to be digital first. That Ford example is a really interesting one, Daniel. Certainly from the industries that we cover, the automotive industry is really interesting when it comes to, to right. techno technology change. Is it fair to say from what you've said, Daniel, that when we're talking about the, the issue that we spoke about, the gap between product development and business impact, that it one of the main things to really get right is learning about your users, your customers. That seems to be like the key here. Absolutely. And, and why? Because user behavior is changing every single millisecond of every day. Um, and it's important to put user behavior insights at the center of your business and to evolve your product strategy your business strategy uh, in line with that and you know the last year has been a great example of just how things have changed so quickly and those businesses that have been able to change and adapt with that have really thrived over the last year plus Obviously, these businesses now, the digital first businesses that you mentioned are, are operating in hugely competitive spaces. You know, small margins are so important. What else can businesses do to kind of gain an advantage, do you think, in this in this way? Uh, well, naturally, you know, our, our view is it does start with the insights and sort of understanding what your, your users are doing, why they're doing it, and how you build more meaningful interactions, engagement, and product. But ultimately, what that drives through these businesses is is kind of that putting those insights at the center of how you operate so we we talk about the north star here at amplitude which is navigating the whole business to single goal and set of metrics that will or help you achieve the outcomes as a business that you're looking to um, and so really put differently that is about working together with customer experience at the center and building great digital products 
that achieve the best business outcomes. Great stuff, Daniel. And on a final point, let's talk about digital optimization as a discipline almost. How excited are you and, and the, your company to be part of that and to kind of imagine the potential in this field and the potential impact you might have on your clients going forward? I think we're hugely excited by that. And I, I think uh, just to, in talking to some of the macro trends in the industry, I referenced earlier about the $7 trillion that's been spent on digital optimization, the 500 million digital products that are yet to be built, but will be delivered to market in the next two to three years. You know, we feel we have a big part to play in enabling those products to come to market. And we see tremendous momentum across the globe and certainly here in Amir and more particularly the UK with our um, vibrant uh, ecosystem of startup businesses and indeed uh, traditional businesses that are looking to transform to digital first businesses as well. So we see ourselves being a key partner there and we see this space growing exponentially over the next few years. So we're excited by the opportunity we have, but how we can partner with our customers as well. And do you see a future where you have that kind of holy grail almost where product development is tied exclusively to kind of business impact and everything has a value as it were? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the, the sort of digital black hole as such, as I referenced earlier, that we're, we're trying to fill, although we're confident we can fill and, and really through all of the great examples of the thousand plus customers we work with, we feel we can replicate that and, and help all businesses of all sizes and all geographies you know, achieve those outcomes. Right. Thank you to Daniel for that interview. We are ready to wrap up, listener. But before we do, let's go straight to our other Daniel. Tech for Good issue 11 came out last week. What are the highlights? So our cover story uh, on Tech for Good 11 is how Intel is using AI to combat the world's biggest healthcare issues. We also speak to version one about how their core values have built a great place to work. Uh, we head to Dublin. Uh, we go behind the scenes at the Dublin's Academy of the near future to find out why the council are educating kids about IoT and smart cities. And we also head to Ghana to find out why startup Redbird are attempting to decentralise healthcare across Africa as well. Brilliant stuff. It's well worth a read. One other plug, we've just published a meaty case study with Danish retailer Selling Group. We'll be chatting about that on the next pod, but it's well worth a read. A really great story of business transformation during COVID-19. And there's loads of other stuff going on as well. Just head over to digitalbulletin.com and techforgood.net. Um, before we go, I must thank the panel. Romilly, thank you. No, no, thank you. Soldiering on with your sore throat. Yeah. And Dan, thank you. Thanks, Ben. And because I was in a car with Rom yesterday, I'll probably be getting a sore throat tomorrow. We should name it. I've, I've decided that uh, it should be called Steve. <laughs> Steve 21. Your, your car or your sore throat? The sore throat that we're both going to be co-parenting. Well, you're both heroes for managing to drag yourself through this um, <laughs> this podcast. And the final thanks is to you, listener. Make sure you join us again next time. Until then, goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast, brought to you by Bulletin Media. Listen and subscribe to our range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation. 